Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton, and this is... I'm Kyle. But first, a word from our partners. First off, we want to talk about Heather's Choice. If you use the code THEYOUNGGUIDES15 at checkout, you can get 15% off of your order. You can find them at heatherschoice.com, or you can go to the link in the show notes, or you can go to our website and follow the link. Go straight to the Heather's Choice site, and uh, you should be able to check out using our code through that. Keaton, take us to the next one. Our other partner is Lucky Bug Lures. They sell the Bingo Bug, Zombie Max, Fusion Extreme, Lucky Plug, F-Bomb, and Pike Bomb. Go and check them out at www.luckybuglures.com and get yours today. And what's our code for that one, Keaton? Our code is the Young Guides 15 For sure. Another partner we want to mention today is Northern Knits, handmade wool knit hats. They're great. Keaton and I both have one. Keep your head warm. Look nice. You can have a custom order for your, your own specific color combo that you want. You can find Northern Knits on Facebook under their page. And the last one we want to bring up is our friend Matt at Alaska Rod Co. Just released a new lineup of rods for the 2022 season. He has some awesome new rods, including both spinning and fly rods. Spinning rods, they have a lineup of eight freshwater spinning rods with actions and powers for anglers chasing big, aggressive fish. With lengths ranging from six foot to nine foot, there are plenty of options for various applications and styles. In a world full of mass-produced rods, Alaska Rod Co. makes sure that their rods and service provides what other brands cannot. Rod built and tested in Alaska. Alaska Rod Co. fly rods are built for harsh environments while maintaining the utmost level of craftsmanship. Right now, Alaska Rod Co. has nine-foot fly rods ranging from five weights to eight weights. The 10-foot single hand switch and spare rods will be available late this winter or spring. And there's enough rod companies out there trying to build the next lightest and flashy fly rod. But Alaska Rod Co. is here to build you a rod you can pass down to generations. Fishing means many things to many different people. Alaska Rod Co. is honored to build you the ultimate tool that connects you to that meaning. I also want to just add a little thing on the end of that is I just ordered a rod for Matt and I'm so excited to get it. Um, I ordered a six weight, uh, six weight, nine foot. Um, and I'm going to use it as my sea run cutthroat rod for, uh, down here. So, and I think, uh, Kyle, did your outfitter just buy some t- as well? Yep. Uh, Bear Paw River Guides will be guiding this next season with uh, several of uh, Matt's rods. Um, and we're excited to add that into our, our lineup and uh, put Alaska Rod Co. rods in our clients' hands. As soon as we get them, I'm going to let you know how they fish. You know, the things I like, we're going to be posting some pictures and maybe hopefully chatting a little bit more about them. Um, I just want to also mention that they're uh, made in the USA. Uh, Matt has a great warranty on them um, from what we talked about. And if you go back to what is that episode seven, you can hear all about everything going on. So we're very excited and uh, yeah. Heck yeah. Super pumped. Matt's a good dude. We want to support him. He helps us. We want to help him out and get his name out there and get one of his rods into your hands. With that, Keaton, why don't we talk about today's episode? Today we have Kate Sorensen on. 
Uh, we are very excited to hear about Kate's story. Kate has fished all over the world. Uh, Kate has battled some uh, health issues and bounced back and found her way and has really just connected to the outdoors and um, and wildlife and everything around her. So we're very excited um, to release this podcast and we hope that you enjoy. Kyle, anything? I just want to say thank you to everybody listening to today's episode. You can uh, leave us a rating review. That would be much appreciated. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, great places to let others know who you're listening to and that you like. Listen to us bring on guests every week or Keaton and I talk to each other. You can also go to our website, theyoungguidespodcast.com to listen to all of these episodes and to learn more about our guests and to find where you can find our partners online and what promo codes you can use using um, our links. Yeah. We just want to, I just want to also thank you guys for taking the time and listening to our podcast. Um, We have some loyal followers on our podcast and we just really appreciate you guys. Thanks for giving us great feedback. Um, You can always message us uh, on our Instagram Um, or on our website and uh, yeah with that said we're so excited here's another episode of the young guides podcast let's do it bring it to you all right how's it going kate welcome to our podcast thanks for having me yeah absolutely you want to just get this kicked off sure let's do it all right can you tell us a little bit about your background Sure. So I am a New Englander. I lived in New England for 30 years. Um, I think it's important for my story to tell you, you know, right from the beginning who I was. Um, I grew up as an elite gymnast. And by the age of nine, I was uh, working out 35 hours a week um, and really super intense. And same thing with academics. I was a go-getter Uh, In fact, really obnoxious if I think back and reflect on it, just how many hours I studied. Um, So everything about me was just really competitive and really intense. Um, I ended up going to Harvard for school and also I ended up being a very competitive springboard diver. Um, I was a four-time NCAA All-American, three-time AAU national champion, and um, a two-time world champion in my age group. Wow. Um, Yeah, I mean, it sounds really, really impressive, um, (laughs) but it was something that didn't make me happy. I mean, I don't wanna be dramatic, but um, I didn't find joy in what I was doing. Um, I started to live in the city after graduating Harvard and I was an inner city school teacher there and as someone who really loves to be the best at what they do, I felt for the first time ever in my life, I was really bad at something. Um, And so I just kind of had this, this feeling that I needed to do something different. You know, I was, I was stereotypically very successful, but you know, in my heart, I just felt like there was something more. So what, um, What do you do now? What brought you, I guess, now you're in Washington, um, when you found yourself kind of in that situation there in Boston, how did you uh, get away from that and start kind of uh, changing, changing yourself? 
Well, um, I didn't have a car in the city. And so I just felt super trapped. Mm -hmm. um, felt like I was really far away from nature. Um, and I said, you know what? I need to make a change. And I had a friend at a diving meet introduce me to fishing. And uh, he's since become a mentor for me. Uh, but he had me come out to Seattle and coach diving. And I started to fish the area, uh, travel a little bit around the Pacific Northwest. And just hands down, I fell in love. So what I decided to do was literally pick up my bags and move 2,500 miles away to a very, very small town. Um, in fact, the town itself had um, fewer people in it than the school that I was teaching in, in Boston. Wow. So it was a big change. And I said, you know what? I love fishing so much that um, I want more of it. I want to live in a place that is, you know, just, I now live in a place that have, has four lakes um, and, and a river fairly close by. So I made the jump and said, I need to be happy. And I'm moving to a place that I have no friends in uh, and I'll make friends. And so here I am now in Washington state as a math teacher and I get to fish as much as I want, except for when I'm working. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I know that uh, kind of what that, uh, like a school, like a teacher's schedule is. My dad was a teacher. So I know you've got weekends and big long vacations. So that's, that's a, a good job to have if you like fishing. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So you kind of elaborated that um, you, you had a mentor into fishing, but you know, what, what moment was it that you found yourself going, oh, I really love doing, you know, fly fishing. I really love, you know, you mentioned you moved all the way over here. Um, like what, what was that changing moment that you found? Like, was it a certain fish that you caught? Why, and, and kind of why Washington? Like, you know, there's Montana, there's Idaho, there's all these cool places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I found myself, once I was introduced to fishing down at a diving meet, um, going back to Boston and literally fishing as much as I could and wherever I could to a degree that is actually really funny. Like I would fish, fly fish right next to a highway. Um, I would fish in a place where joggers were and I'd have to like wait for them to run by and then I could do my back cast. Um, I found myself um, traveling on the train system with an inflatable backpack, um, trying to find fishing areas or you know, going to Google and trying to find water. Um, but the real moment that I felt like, okay, this is what I wanna do is when I took my calculus class bunch of inner city uh, kids out to fish right alongside the highway. And I never seen kids happy as happy as they were that day. And to feel that happiness, it made me feel like, you know what, the city's not for me. And for these kids to show so much joy in this thing, like, there's something to this sport that makes me happy and that makes others happy. And uh, so I said, you know, I, I'm going to make a change. And I did. Nice. That's awesome. So you left Boston, came, came to Washington, moved to a small town. Um, 
what did that whole process look like of like restarting learning places around you, meeting new people? How, how was, how did that go? For the longest time, I felt like everything I did, I compared it to the East coast. Like if I went out to dinner even the servers would look you in the eye or tell you a story, even though you didn't know them. Um, there were different words, um, different personalities, different politics. And so, so for the first kind of couple of years, it was just all about comparing, um, but also rebuilding myself as a person. I had a huge community back in Boston and New England. Um, from diving, from teaching, from high school, from college, um, from gymnastics. And all of a sudden I moved to a place where I didn't know anyone. And so, you know, besides those, those differences, um, I think for me, I realized that um, everyone wants to help out here and they wanna be your friend. And so it just happened supernaturally that I, I created my own community out here um, and now I feel like I have my own family out here too. So it, it took time, but I encourage anyone who's thinking about making a, a big change like that um, to just trust yourself that you will find people. Uh, there's a lot of great people out, out there and they want to make connections. <clears throat> Was it kind of a um, moving from... You're going from like the city. I mean, you're around a lot of people, I'm guessing, um, from what you describe. Uh, was it a culture shock to come in and maybe like go into places and, you know, it's a different way of life. And I'm, I'm guessing in the area, there's probably some hunting and stuff. So you're walking into sports, you know, sportsmen's places and or restaurants even. I've been in the restaurants in the Eastern Washington. They got like an elk head, you know, up on the the wall. How was that for you? Oh, it was a huge culture shock. I remember my first year teaching, um, having a phone call from the front office and having a student get dismissed, uh, kind of at the beginning class. And then he came back about 55 minutes later and he was showing all his friends something on his phone. I said, Oh, what's going on? He showed me the picture and he's like, Oh, I just, just got a bear in my orchard. <laughs> And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this, this would have never happened in Boston because, you know, most people are anti-hunting out there. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you asked this question because it was certainly a culture shock, but it was such an easy transition for me because it felt like me. I felt like I was among people who were like me. Um, and like I said in the beginning, I was not happy, you know. When I won Worlds, my, my feeling wasn't happiness, it was relief. Um, and when I came out here, I finally felt like I'm in the place that is going to make me the happiest I could be. Awesome. So if, it sounds kind of like another reason like you moved out, but you kind of left all that um, behind and you're basically kind of like having a, a new start and finding a, a new passion for something that you uh, you really love. Yeah. And I mean, I went head over heels for it. Um, I am obsessed with fishing. Um, I have a room in my house dedicated to fishing. 
Um, I've been fishing for six years and it would be an understatement to say that I've fished over 400 times during that time. Um, colleagues used to ask me, um, did you go fishing this weekend? And now they ask me, um, what'd you catch or how was the fishing? Um, I go ice fishing in negative degree weather. I've gone fishing before work where I'm running um, onto the dock and into my car to try to get to a meeting by 7.15 a.m. I've hiked 10 miles to try to cut a, uh, catch a particular species of cutthroat in Wyoming. Um, literally my entire Christmas list is pretty much fishing gear. If you look at my YouTube history, it is completely fishing. Um, it is not uncommon for me to drive four to five hours a day just to go fishing and come back. And I love fishing with people, uh, but I also fish alone quite a bit. You know, I'll, I'll drive down what most people would not drive down all by myself. And I do take uh, kind of a GPS just to keep track and be safe. Um, but I am definitely head over heels for fishing. Being an athlete and like in college and then coming out, how do you find, do you ever find yourself like, um, like when you go fishing with friends competing at all, like when you're out there, you're like, Oh, I got to catch, you know, this big fish or you guys have like mini competitions. Yeah. And it's something that I think as a, a, a person I'm working on and, and yeah. actually very aware of it because like I said, um, the person that I grew up, you know, I had a lot of happy memories, but I, I wasn't as happy as I could be. And that's probably because, because of my excessively competitive nature. Um, I have to actively try not to be competitive. Uh, it's, it's kind of like fishing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And you find yourself posting a picture on Facebook and then saying, well, why did that one only get 75 likes when that person posted this and got 200 likes? Um, so am I competitive while fishing? Yes. Yeah. Am I actively aware of it and working on it? Yes, as well. Nice. Only reason I asked that <clears throat> is because when I got out of high school and, I, and then I found fly fishing and stuff, I was very similar and like the act as like once I started getting it down I was like oh I gotta go out and I gotta you know I gotta catch a bigger fish than my friend or I gotta you know I'm always chasing that like one of our mottos like when I was playing football in high school was chasing perfection and mm -hmm. so you, I was always chasing down that like that perfect picture fish or you know and then once I started fishing more I think you start to realize that there's more to it than just trying to catch that big fish. I think that a lot of people get caught up in the moment of, uh, oh, I, I need this giant trout instead of going, oh, look at this landscape I'm in. Or, oh, I just saw a deer or a moose or, oh, look, there, there's cougars running on the hillside. Or, you know, I think a lot of people get so caught up in the fishing and, that they forget about the life that is living around them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I remember I lost um, my first three ever steelhead hookups this year. I was to the point where I was just extremely upset. And then yeah. the next day I did catch a steelhead. Um, I had relief 
And I reminded myself, oh gosh, you know, when I won worlds, I felt relief and not happiness, you know, and, and that's not what you want. You know, you don't want to feel no. relief. Why, why would I feel relief? Why wouldn't I just be happy for my catch or, or enjoy my catch? And so, yeah, you're totally right. This idea of um, fishing for the wrong reason. And yeah. again, just being, being aware of, of what you're doing, why you're doing it and what your motives are behind it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think another thing is you, you catch yourself, um scrolling i mean we all do it scrolling through like instagram and you're you're watching you know maybe someone catches a fish out of your favorite river nearby or whatever and they're like look at this giant fish i caught and you're like man i've i've been doing this for this many years and i haven't caught something like that or i haven't caught this steelhead or this giant bass and it's like you know you got to just stop and think but and be like i've lived in these moments and I've enjoyed these moments. And so I think that like social media and, and things, you know, other networks have really uh, almost brought like a, a negative aspect to our sport, but also there's a lot of positive, not just dogging on it, but yeah. I, I wonder what is the purpose of posting fish pictures online? Yeah. Is it to, like, is my purpose behind doing that to get um, people to applaud me? You know, is it, to yeah. is it to inspire others? Yeah, I mean, that's stuff I've thought about too. And it's like, am I doing this because, like you said, I want people to applaud me? Do I want people to see that I can catch this, this one fish um, or um, sometimes I'm like, maybe I can use it as more like, like a teaching moment, like talk about how I caught this fish or maybe the motives behind why I, I went after this fish a certain way. But, um, yeah, I definitely see where there can be issues of doing it for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> but and, and I, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you're good. You know, I was just thinking like what, when people see a post where I have a tremendously good fishing year, how does that make them feel? Mm -hmm. Because in many ways, we're not on the same playing field, right? I, I paid $9,000 to go fish the Amazon. Some people don't have that money. Mm -hmm. uh, I am fortunate enough that I get summers off as a teacher. So I put in um, 80 to 120 days of fishing a year. And so when I have people posts like I'm 72 years old I've been fishing my whole life and and I haven't caught as many fish as you caught this year in my entire life you know it's just it, it makes me wonder if I'm making people feel bad because I certainly know um, that I feel bad sometimes when I see others and what they post mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I think also coming from a, a positive aspect on this um, I think that everyone has different intentions on the way they post. Um, but I also believe that there's, you know, there's good reasons. Not everyone's, I mean, there's, there's gotta be people out there that are like big fish. Look what I caught. Everyone look at it. Give me likes kind of vibes. But I think there's also, it, this is the other side of social networking is that you can, 
you can share experiences. You can teach people how you caught that. You can show them proper fish handling. You can show them these beautiful places because like, like when we talk about conservation, you know, you want to keep these places hush hush, but at the same time, next thing you know, you hear like, there's a pebble mine going on it or something's, you know, this company wants to do this to this or this and this. And it's like, you got to have also people that really care about this to show, you know, you can't get a, uh, in a year, you can't get thousands of people to come and love that river. Right. So that that's kind of the other aspect is conservation, you know, teaching like Kyle said, and, and just a bunch of other, you know, great opportunities. Those are great points. I mean, I, I spend so much time looking at YouTube fishing videos that clearly I don't do it because it makes me feel bad. I do it for all those positive reasons. Yeah. Well, and especially if you're, you know, <clears throat> if you DIY trip somewhere, you know, you want to see what, how other people had success and it's, it's crazy like YouTube and, and, and social media, you can almost narrow it down to the time of year that you're going. Like uh, we went last year to fish Montana and we were like, uh, you go on YouTube and you're like Montana, you know, river fishing, you know, August 1st through 10th or whatever. And some guy made a video saying, Oh, I was hopper fishing August one through you know 10. And I was using this and this and and the next thing you know you're like oh perfect you tie that on your catching fish so that's one of those moments where it's a teaching moment or learning moment moment or getting you just like because you don't have that time to spend to figure something out you know you're just you're you're spending that time there you want to be catching fish so and i'm sure you use it too kate to um kind of like uh, have ideas for some of the trips that you've gone on and kind of given you inspiration on places to go is how you used it for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Now I'm all about social media. I'm totally convinced now. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, but yeah, well, we, we do agree too. Like there are definitely things that, that uh, people definitely do it for the wrong reasons and, and uh, getting sucked into it um, can be for lack of a better word, uh, toxic at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all comes back to, um, am I doing this for the right reason? And we just have to be self-aware and asking ourselves that all the time. For sure. So, so oh, go uh, ahead, Keaton. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, so kind of coming back to your, your timeline, I guess, and coming back and moving over to Washington, um, starting to build your community, learn more about the fishing. Where was the, the first place that you fished once you got to Washington? Like what's the very first fishery you went to? Oh, uh, I think I'd be lying to you if I said a particular place. Cause I don't remember, yeah, um, but, but I will say that um, when I came to Washington for the first time um, and, and did that coaching John over in Seattle and I did a, a road trip that made me fall in love with the area. Um, I actually fished the little town that I'm currently living in. And so I did this kind of road trip. I did um, Annalon Lake for brown trout. I did Omak Lake for Lahontan cutthroat. Um, I did potholes for smallmouth. Um, trying to think of some others. 
uh, McGinnis for Brookies, uh, we literally crushed them. Like it was the best fishing trip of my life. And uh, my friend Jim, my mentor, he said, you know, like, this is rare, like this is a good week. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm coming to Washington. This is normal fishing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so I obviously came back and over time realized how spectacular of a trip that was. It just kind of hit it really well. Uh, yeah. But it was really uh, a special time that said to myself, you know, this is where I have to be. So when you did the fishing up there, were you, were you like, oh, I'm coming right here? Or did you like look at other places in Washington before you moved up here? Yeah, I, um, I actually really fell in love with Leavenworth uh, because obviously Leavenworth is gorgeous. Um, and so I emailed every principal from Leavenworth all the way up to like Twist pretty much. And a lot of these schools only have one or two math teachers. And so almost all of them said, no, we don't have a teacher leaving this year, but um, we'll let you know if we do. But then Manson did have a opening position. And uh, if you Google Manson, Washington, it's pretty spectacular place. Yeah. So uh, it was a real easy decision for me. Heck yeah. So how did you start? Um, like once you got here and you, you went on that initial trip and, and you had your mentor here. Um, how did you start meeting more people or learning about more places to go and fish in the state? That's, that's a great question because I think my answer is going to be way different than you think. Um, I literally just looked at a map and tried various places. I think when you have people online who are constantly wanting to know where you got that fish, um, the joy for me is, is going to a place where you have absolutely no clue if you are going to get stumped or you're going to get a 23 pound rainbow. And, you know, things like that have happened to me where I, I try a lake that I've, I've basically just found on fish and wildlife website that said, you know, it has brook trout in it, you know, or something like that. And that's all I know. And I make the four hour trip and you know, you have no idea what's going to happen, but the best places I fish have absolutely come from just seeing it on a map and trying it. That's really cool. Cause like uh, a lot of people will see a post on Facebook or on Instagram. Like, where did you catch that? I want to know where to go. Or they'll just say, where can I go fishing? Where should I go? Um, when I think a lot of people have kind of lost that kind of sense of curiosity and, and trying things like that, like just taking a map out saying, this is a lake, this is a blue line I want to go and just go for it. So I think that's super cool. I, I completely agree with you, but I think there's also, it's cool, but it's also super effective because a lot of these places are underfished because they're not being talked about. You know, people are talking about Rocky Ford and the Yakima and, and therefore it's, or the Methow and it's fished a lot. Um, and, and people know that, but you know, the places that I explore are not a place that someone's ever mentioned on online and therefore it can either produce no fish or it can be a spectacular fishery or something in between. It's just that surprise. That's really fun. Heck yeah. So when you were, um, 
going on your trips like on some of your destinations did you do any of that before um you moved to washington or that occur once you moved here and started fishing more um in, in washington like big trips you mean yeah um yeah i did that one big trip uh basically around washington and then to glacier national park before i moved um to washington but since moving to washington I pretty much spend every weekend traveling or every long weekend doing a trip. Um, I've done trips to Canada. I've fished in Arkansas. I've fished in Florida. I've fished um, Wyoming Cutthroat Slam, um, Oregon. I mean, any state I drive through, I, I swear you cannot travel anymore without putting your fishing line in the water. That would literally be a tragedy. In fact, I'm tremendously upset about the places I've visited in my past and didn't fish. Like I visited the Bahamas and I didn't fish it. That is so <laughs> upsetting, you know? And okay. at the time I obviously wasn't a fisherman, um, but I will never travel anywhere ever again without fishing. Totally agree. Totally agree. I've been, when I went to, to my in-laws for Thanksgiving, in Boise, I was kicking myself the whole time because I didn't pack a rod and fish the Boise River in town. It's like, I, I you have to take a rod, your pack. You got to take everything with you. It's it can't it can't not go. You have to. And my parents live um, near the ocean in, in New Hampshire, and I basically I just have a float tube there with fins, and so I'll just pack my waders. And so now I just whenever I visit, I I have a couple of bass lakes I like to go to, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's just cool to fish a different place. Yeah, totally. When you go back to the East coast, do you ever done any, uh, like striper fishing or anything? Yeah. If, um, anyone's listening, my, my, um, good friend, Captain Mike, uh, he does striper fishing and he's just as good as they get when it comes to captaining a boat, fishing guide, and just a solid person. Um, he, I think it's Ipswich, bay fishing or something like that Ipswich angling um striper fishing is where I became an extremely good strip setter um, I really learned to fly fish on lakes and in the ocean uh, and so you won't see me setting up like that you'll see me uh, to, uh strip setting so I have had phenomenal fishing days striper fishing you see the birds come you see the boils and it's, it's a blast. I mean, that is definitely something if you ever travel to the East Coast uh, and you hit the timing right, it's, it is fun, really strong fish. It's always been a, something I've wanted to do. So Keaton, you and I are going to have to go check that out sometime. It's on my, it's on my bucket list. I want to do that. And I wanted like, if we go there, I need to go South and I need to go catch a tarpon. Yeah. Have tarpon. you done? I did do tarpon. I feel like you know, it felt a little bit cheesy because there were <laughs> boats in this uh, lagoon um, and a lot of bait fishermen and stuff like that. But uh, I'll be honest with you guys, I am not the most patient of fishermen. So I think the steelhead fishing and the tarpon fishing is, is kind of a big be a one and done thing although if I'm there I'll do it but it's I would rather catch smaller fish um with guarantee of doing it it's just kind of where I've gotten yeah. to be in my fishing <laughs> I 
I've had weekends going out, like, you know, you go out or for the day or a weekend, you're going steelheading or you're going out trying to catch a certain species and you just, it doesn't end up happening. That happens a lot just because of the number of returns that we have. I mean, I've made a couple like day trips, two, three hour drive. You go up there, you fish, you fish hard, nothing happens or it dumps rain. The worst is when, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you drive somewhere and the weather changes and does something that's not supposed to do. And then as you're standing there, this just like chocolate milk just comes rolling past your feet. And you're like, man, I drove three hours to get to this point, And now I have to drive three hours home for an hour of fishing. So that really sucks. You know, but at the same time, that's what makes fishing so great is that unexpected. Yeah. You know, you're driving somewhere, you have no idea, you know, if it's the river's going to be blown out or if you're going to have the best fishing day of your life. So it's that excitement that I, I really love. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and that's what you got. You know, it's, that's the reason it's not called catching, mm -hmm. it's fishing. So let me, let's, let's start moving into like a different subject a little bit. Um, going back to that, like culture. Um, did you find yourself doing anything else? Like, I know you do fishing. Do you, did you get into like the hunting culture? Do you like doing the backpacking kind of thing? Did you do that before you moved out here? Or was that as you got here? So when I lived in Boston, I was uh, diving and teaching at the same time. So I would um, get out of work around 3.30 or however early I could. I'd walk a mile to the train. I'd take a train for one hour. I'd then walk a mile to the pool, train for two to three hours, walk a mile back to the train, get on the train for an hour, get back to Boston, walk a mile back to my house. And so um, if you want to know if I had hobbies in Boston, the answer is uh, no, unless it counts as, you know, driving. Right, train. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and I think that led a little bit to my unhappiness is that I had to find my hobbies, right? So I, in Washington, I started a drone club at my high school. Nice. And so I got really into video editing and drone flying. And so um, I did that with the kids for a while, which was really fabulous. And then I have gotten into hunting, although it turns out I'm really bad at it. Um, <laughs> or more so that it's significantly harder than fishing. Yeah. Um, I do, I'm left eye dominant, but right-handed. Uh, so it's a little bit of a struggle for me um, with shotgun, but I go do skeet um, and I, I go to the shooting range. I have a shooting range in my backyard. I practice with play, uh, clay pigeons. Um, got my first turkey this year. I've gotten uh, some quail, but I would say I probably get skunked 2% of the time in fishing, but for hunting, it's like 95% of the time I get skunked. Um, so I really like it because I went muzzleloader hunting for the first time this year and I got to be within uh, 10 feet of deer. You might say, Kate, why don't you have a deer? Um, but that's a different story for another podcast with tears. Um, but just like, you know, being around animals at 5 a.m. where you would otherwise be in bed. I know that's the part yeah. of hunting I really like. Um, I have really got into ice fishing. I'm absolutely obsessed with ice fishing. Um, certainly fly fishing is my number one, 
but I needed to do something on the kind of the off season. Yeah. Uh, so I do that and um, I'm trying to think of other hobbies. I've been told I have too many hobbies and need to cut them back. So I think those are my main ones. Gotcha. That's awesome. So I, I know you were talking earlier kind of how maybe tarpon fishing and steelhead, steelheading that you, you didn't necessarily think that would be something you might come back to. Can you kind of like, do you kind of see a parallel between like hunting for a steelhead or a tarpon and comparing that with like hunting for an animal as in things that are um, maybe not as um, enjoyable, I guess, because you, you don't have that kind of success rate. You don't, you don't have as much joy doing that. You know, I, I think I'll be a little bit vulnerable here, but I think a piece of it is um, to get a picture of it and feel like you've done it, if that makes sense. I feel like the same thing is true for hunting for me, especially for big game. This idea of I just want to have one picture with a big deer or I just want to have one big steelhead. Um, and I found that like I really didn't enjoy the whole hunt for the steelhead. It was just seemed to me that I wanted the picture or I wanted to say that I've gotten one. And, you know, I've, I've brought this up a few times during the podcast, but you have to stop and ask yourself, am I doing this for the, for the wrong reason? And I, that's clearly a time when I was. And so I just have to push back on myself and say, I'm going hunting because I love nature. Mm -hmm. I love the challenge. I'm going fishing for a number of reasons, which we can talk about later but um, just being cautious that you're not going tarpon fishing or steelhead fishing um, because you just want that picture or you want to say you've caught a big one. Yeah. No, for sure. Like, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say like, like this year um, when I moved to Alaska, um, new area, never, never lived up here, never hunted up here. And uh, I like to hunt ducks in the winter time. And I was going to places and I was not shooting. I shot like two ducks the entire season. And I was like initially like really bummed or I'd, I'd hunt all morning in the cold and I'd be all bummed out. I'm like, man, why, why I'm just not having fun. Why am I still doing this? But then I had to think like one morning I saw two foxes and I thought they might've been grizzly bears in the, in my headlamp. And when I saw two sets of eyes, um, <clears throat> Uh, I have, like you said, you're getting close to deer. I have ducks land five feet away from me and I'm standing in the puddle on five minutes before daylight. Like it's the, it's those things that can, you kind of have to realize like things you have to kind of find some enjoyment of and like um, understand while you're doing it and having, and not wanting to just shoot a bunch of ducks and get, or a picture of some ducks or, or, or catch that one fish. And that I, I like what you said, you're like, trying to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Right. You know, and to kind of add on to Kyle, I think that when um, there's a part that you can't describe when you harvest an animal, um, I mean, like catching fish, you catch fish, you can get them in the net, take your pictures, drop them out, you know, they swim off. But like there's something, and I think until, you know, if anyone lis is listening to this or um, – you know, even you, like when you start harvesting like a big game animal, eventually, if you do, there's just something about it that's just like, 
you almost the way I describe it is I've never felt closer to nature than that moment. What would you say, Kyle? No, I, I would agree. There is nothing, um, nothing comes close to coming to that moment where you would know that you are um, taking something's life and you're then going to use it to better yourself, um, yeah. which is in a way, which is, which is different than fishing. Um, even different than bonking a fish and keeping a fish. It's just uh, something that brings you a lot closer and lets you know that you're, um, you're doing it for the, the betterment of you, um, whether that's filling your freezer or, yeah. or, or using parts of that animal for, for various things. Well, and I don't know about you guys too, but I, I also feel like I've grown to have an appreciation for it almost makes me appreciate everything in that cycle of life you know, instead of just out, you know, just the deer, like I, you know, if I harvest a deer, it's not just like, oh, I, now I love this species of deer. It's like, oh no, like I love that the, you know, the things that hunt it down and track it, or I love that this drinks from the water that the fish live in. Like, I feel like I have, you know, everyone talks about maybe river conservation, save our fish, but it's like, man, that water also gives water to so much more life, you know, trees and, and um you know the animals that drink from it and so i think that in at least in my eyes in my heart that i feel like i have more of an appreciation for everything in nature yeah some of the best hunters i know are probably um the most pro animal i know of anyone for sure you got to appreciate and you got to take care of your resources around you. Um, and this is where everything that we've talked about tonight, we could all loop it together, you know, with our social media and with, you know, people and our hunting and our fishing. It's just, we all got to take better care of, you know, if you enjoy doing something and you harvest something and then that ends up disappearing later on in life because we didn't care about what was around it. You know, so I think that's why a lot of like a lot of the hunters and anglers that you may see or be around that really appreciate animals and appreciate life is because we, we're trying to take care of it for future generations. That's a long way to describe it, but that's that's how I feel. So well said. Yeah. Sure. So Kate, um one of the things that you brought up um and something that we've shared on our social media about you and that would initially um, kind of got us interested in having you on the podcast was some of the the destinations and the trips that you've you've gone on and the species you've been um, able to catch. Um, what I guess first off, and you've said some of these, but where have you gone and like what made you want to go um, chase those species in in those locations? Uh, I spent a month in Iceland for photography and also for uh, fishing and uh, Iceland, that was the most humbling experience of my life um, because I fished uh, different rivers and that I'd never fished before. And usually it takes a while to figure out a fishery. And I struggled a little bit, honestly, Um, but because I put in so much time, I did get um, some gigantic brown trout and Arctic char. I remember a particular Arctic char that 
I tried on like seven different dry flies before it took it. And, uh, you know, the feeling of finally hooking that fish and your heartbeat is just so fast. Um, so Iceland, I went to uh, before and I just was drawn back there because it's a spectacular place. You are so aware of the earth when you're there because it's boiling. Um, I fished rivers there that were heated because of geysers. Um, it was just a phenomenal place with the exception of the food, which was actually terrible. Um, I was fortunate enough to fish Puerto Rico uh, this year and I did a guided trip for tarpon and I was successful, but I also went out on my own uh, in a kayak and basically fly fished and caught my first snook and, and tarpon on my own without a guide. So that was really super cool. Um, I have fished up in Fortress Lake, Canada. Highly recommend it, extremely cheap for what you get. They fly you in in BC, Canada some of the biggest brook trout in the world. And it's it's not one of those fishing trips where you catch like three fish a day. It's more like, okay, I've caught 50 today. I can go home and, you know, have a beer. Um, I have fished the Wyoming cutthroat slam. That was spectacular. Um, and that was, you know, one of those trips, you just don't expect to do that great because you don't know the fishery. It was like, every day was amazing fishing and I probably shouldn't say this on a, a podcast but I would go back to Wyoming over Montana any day just because the the fishing was spectacular and it's just not as well known uh, I also went to uh, Fortress Lake no sorry I said that one I uh, I went to Amazon Rainforest um, and that's just a trip of a lifetime I, I had several friends go with me and they were the ones that said, hey, this has been a dream of ours forever. Do you want to join? And uh, the answer was absolutely. And not only was it an amazing fishing trip, but I got to fish with Kayapo Indians. And these are people who live on the river and have never seen a supermarket their entire lives. They speak a language that only, you know, a couple hundred people know. Uh, they live off the land. They go to their supermarket, which is jumping in the river and grabbing a turtle. Um, and so the fishing itself was just world-class. I mean, catching giant 80 pound catfish and haku and huge wolffish. And uh, man, I caught some really good pe peacock bass. Um, and it, again, it was, an, it was a big numbers game as well for that, but it was, you know, really good company great guides. Um, and for what I got, I really felt like the price was reasonable for that. So that was called Kenjam, K-E-N-D-J-A-M. And uh, those are the ones that stand out to me. Um, I'm trying to think of some others, but it's tough. Um, I, you know, I really feel like I, I do guided fishing when I'm in a location that I don't know. But for the most part, when I said I fish over 400 times in the last six years, I'd say 97% um, of that is without a guide, just kind of local areas. Yeah, trying it out and testing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so real quick, what, what made you want to go to some of these places? Like, like what was your drive to go um, to, uh, I guess you said you, you went to Iceland for, for um, 
the, the for photography as well right um what brought you to some of these other places though and like i want to go here did you want to like chase a specific trout was there a certain type of fishing you wanted to do or or how did that work out i'm totally driven by good scenery i mean um anytime i think about where i want to go on vacation it always ends up being an extremely cold place that i find beautiful um so uh, for me foremost it was uh, for the culture or for the beauty of, of where it was. And then obviously, um, gigantic peacock bass and gigantic brook trout, you know, and things like that. That's really pretty tempting too. Gotcha. Cool. I'm currently looking to do a, a fly fishing, uh, trip up in Canada this summer and, I'm trying to narrow it down to, I want to do pike fishing mainly and uh, lake trout on fly. And you really have to make a decision sometimes between really good scenery and maybe the fishing's not as good or big pike with a lake that I don't find quite as attractive, super flat, you know? And so it, it's a combination of all that. Well, and for like lake trout and for your pike, when you, you're going to make that trip, you know, timing's a big, big thing too making sure you're at the right time of the year and they're not super deep or lethargic or anything of that sort so that's right. gonna be a fun trip yeah they say they say ice out's actually a really good time and um it you know it's it's fun just the research part is fun you know i said in the beginning i was obsessed with fishing and when i'm trying to find these locations it just becomes a youtube search and and a google search and emailing people <laughs> you're spending a lot of money and you want to get something that fits for you. Yeah. You know, I, you kind of mentioned pike and like, uh, and Lake trout, you should put tiger muskie on your to-do list too. Okay. Yeah. Tiger muskie is, uh, from what I've heard, it's just insane. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who does it and, uh, he catches them and he's told me that he's blown up a couple of rods on the side of the boat because when you hook them, they just, come like charging straight at the boat and underneath it and like once the rod goes it's going you're not getting it back so and that's what a lot you know that's what i've heard through a lot of people saying that to when you get into a big big tiger muskie like they're powerful fish so you mentioned kind of pike and i think that if, if you want to try that stuff you definitely need to put a tiger muskie on your to go to do so you know, this, this stuff pumps me up, this idea yeah. of talking about future trips and future fish. It, this is what life is, you guys, this idea of what, what can we do next? What's going to make us happier or um, challenge us next? It's super cool, and, that, and that's why I love fishing so much. Yeah, absolutely. And you got, it gives you a reason to kind of get after the next step and where you want to be and where you want to go. Um, yeah, but, but all the while appreciating um, things like going to a small waterfall and catching eight-inch trout on Tenkara rod. You know, just because I've caught really big fish in the Amazon rainforest, um, you know, it, you still got to appreciate a, a gorgeous trout or just the different varieties. Appreciate lake fishing, appreciate river fishing, appreciate ice fishing, spin fishing. I mean, it's all amazing in its own little, um, little story, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't get caught up in, 
the big fish moments, you also got to appreciate the the little fish moments too, or a red band in a small creek, or you know, a small brook trout, or anything. I mean, you, I think people forget that there's also beauty in the, the smaller things in life as well. Um, yeah. And so, what on kind of what you want on what you were saying, Kate? What what are some of those goals that you have for yourself, or some of those trips that really pumps you up? Like, I know you're, you're, you mentioned a couple, but is there any like that you have that you might not be able to achieve in the next year or two, but maybe five, 10 years down the road, you might want to go do, um, or maybe something closer to home that you want to do in the near future? Oh, for sure. So for ice fishing, I want to catch a burbot under the ice. Um, that's my ice fishing goal. Um, for fly fishing, I want to catch a coho on the fly. Um, I want to catch a really big bluegill as well. Like something that I don't, yeah, I just bluegill really pound for pound. They fight really well. So I'd love to catch a really big bluegill. Um, I'm kind of stuck at the three to four pound bass. I'd really love to catch like a big five, six pound bass on a popper at night. Mm -hmm. um, I love popper fishing. I think it's super cool. And, um, you know, the one thing I haven't gotten into is kind of that uh, warm water um, fishing. And I, I'm not sure if I'm good enough yet to catch a bonefish um, in heavy wind and the guide point and say you have to cast exactly 47 feet at 10 degrees. You know, I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I'm there yet, um, but I certainly feel like that's on my radar for down the line. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah, that's awesome. So you, you mentioned to me, um, kind of, and I want you to go on and elaborate that. Um, you mentioned that like after a trip, there was a pretty rough patch in your life. And, um, how did that moment make you appreciate life even more than you did so before? Yeah, I, I got really sick, uh, in August. I, I had 104 fever for an extended period of time. I was having really bad night sweats to the point where I actually had to change my clothes in the middle of the night and actually ch change beds. Um, I was having extremely low blood pressure. My kidney and my liver were failing. I passed out in the shower. Um, I was having an elevated pulse despite the fact that my blood pressure was so low that I should have been passed out. Uh, and this is for, for an extended period of time. And I'm a really healthy, athletic person, um, but I, I lost 20 pounds within two months. So I got very ill um, and I did everything necessary to try to figure out what it was, right? I did a lot of blood tests. I um, did um, urine tests. I did ultrasounds and all that jazz. And it was a long haul. And unfortunately um, it was so long that it was enough time that made me panic um, to the point where I didn't tell anyone, but at night I was dreaming about dying, dreaming about having cancer. Um, I contacted um, someone to do my will. I even talked to people about like, if I were to die, could you take care of this for me? Um, and it's interesting that when you are faced with something like that, it wasn't emotional for me. It was more practical. 
meaning like, here's what I have to do if I'm gonna die. Um, and the first thing I thought of, literally the very first thing I thought of when the doctor told me your kidney and your liver are failing and that's, that's not normal for someone like you, um, I thought, well, I've got a few years left to live. I'm gonna quit my job. I've got enough saved in retirement. I'm gonna travel the world and I'm gonna fish. I'm gonna go down to Patagonia because I can't as a teacher right now, given the seasons, I'm gonna yeah. go fish New Zealand. Um, you know, I wanna go catch a marble trout in Europe and you know, all these things. And it, it was interesting to me that my first response to something as crazy as I might die at age 34 was, well, then I might quit my job and fish the world. And so, you know, I kind of had this existential crisis of why is that my response? You know, why is it that when faced with something as scary as death, my idea of living the best life possible for myself would be to fish the world? What is it about fishing? That, that makes me so happy? What is it about fishing that is makes you feel like you're living the good life? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I'm really happy to report to you guys that I, I am doing much better. Um, my kidney is in good shape. My blood pressure is good. My weight is stabilized. I'm still dealing with some issues with my, my liver is still um, not ideal. Um, and the doctors um, with the ultrasound that my parents drove me to, they flew out from Boston. Um, can you imagine being a parent driving your kid to an ultrasound to find out if they have cancer? Um, I'm proud to say that I, I did not have anything life-threatening that came from the ultrasound. Um, so although I'm actually still kind of grappling a little bit with this, um, and they do think it was probably dengue fever or something related to South America, uh, we don't know for certain and uh, I'm still monitoring my health, but um, I'm no longer going to quit and um, travel the world and give up my retirement money. <laughs> nice. But do you feel like um, after you've experienced that and you kind of had that scare, do you feel like there's like a, a drive inside you that tells you that you need to go out and, and live life even more than you are right now? I mean, you seem to be doing a lot of stuff, but do you feel like, oh, I need to, like, instead of, like, maybe I'll go, it's more of, oh, I'm going kind of moments now, or what? Well, you know, I have to, I feel like I, I actually have to caution myself in doing that, because you don't want to feel an obligation to have to go out, because mm-hmm. then if you, you do, it, it It no longer feels like something that you enjoy. You know, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of, like, YouTube creators who probably feel the urge to have to get out there really regularly so um no i don't feel like i i have to do that um but what i think i got from it was just an understanding of why i fish because we've talked about this but there's so many reasons why not to fish you know and and i and i've been asked this question by my family and by others like god kate like you're obsessed like what's the deal with fishing and, and I could never answer that question before. I mean, I felt I, I did, but I don't think I did a great job. I would say I love nature. I love being with family and friends while fishing. I love uh, the excitement of a big fish or the excitement of not knowing what's going to happen. But 
because I fish so much, you know, I asked myself that question, why do I fish? But I never had a good answer. And now I feel like after having this health scare, I do have a good answer. Um, and that answer is, I feel alive when I fish. I feel like I'm living the good life. Mm -hmm. you know, compared to my life in the city when I was extremely competitive um, and driven to be the best person I could be, you know, I feel so much happier than that. And there's, there's nothing more than feeling like you're alive and feeling like you're happy. There, there's nothing more than that, period. And so that, that's what it brought me to, um, certainly an appreciation for my own life and what I'll do with it. Um, and, and also those listening to this, there are many people that the listeners know and that you guys know that are not as lucky as me, right? I think we all know people who saved retirement money um, but never got there, who dreamed of going to um, Brazil, Amazon rainforest, but never got there, right? So it, it's just, it's a good way for me to remember why I fish. It's a good way to remind me what makes me happy um, and to also just appreciate every second that we have here. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, we really appreciate you sharing that with us, Kate, and we're, we're glad you're doing better and Thing, things are looking good and you've got better understanding. So that's awesome. Well, we, we've taken up quite a bit of uh, your time, Kate, and we appreciate the conversation we've had with you. We, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, but we do have um, a few final questions and kind of a rapid fire round, but before we get there, is there, is there anything that you feel like we haven't asked you that, you really want to share um, about your passion for the outdoors and, and um, what you've done. I think what I'd like to do is um, first of all, declare that I'm not an expert fisherman. Um, I feel like sometimes I might come off as sounding like I am. I think that's from the teacher side of me where I have to sound like I know everything. Um, but I want to let you know that I'm extremely humble in what I know for fishing. Like I, I don't wait on my back cast. I know three knots. I don't tie that many flies. I could probably only name 15 flies. Um, you know, I'm just not an expert, um, but what I, I wanna give a little bit of advice specifically because I'm not an expert. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of anglers get discouraged because they're getting advice from very, very good fishermen. Um, and so I, I just have a little bit of advice for, for people who would also declare themselves as not experts like, like I do. Um, and so that first one would probably be to get a mentor. Um, my mentor, Jim, has been invaluable to me. He's currently um, the advisor for the Fly Fishing Club at the University of Idaho now. And he just takes serious pride in bringing beginners into the sport. So find a mentor. Without Jim, I honestly, I, I would not have caught as, as many fish and probably wouldn't have stuck with the sport. Um, fish as much as possible. I mean, literally I catch a lot of fish because I fish a shit ton. Um, you know, people declare themselves as like on their um, about me page on work, they'll say, I'm interested in fly fishing. And I say, oh my God, you are like, when'd you fish last? And they're like, well, two, three years ago. Right. So, you know, if you're complaining about not catching a lot of fish, yeah. it's, it's because you're not fishing. 
um, right? And you learn so much by making so many mistakes. So um, get out there as much as you can. Um, try different things. Like if you're not catching fish, if you're stripping small strips, try big strips. If you're stripping slowly, try fast. If you're shallow, try deep. If you're casting in this place, try casting in a different. Um, if you fish there in the morning, try fishing there in the evening, right? Yeah. So, you know, I've had so many times when I am reeling in really fast um, to end my day because I got skunked and I catch a fish and I hadn't tried that, you know? <laughs> I had times when I'm um, trying a run again, where I, I drag my fly up a run, which is not fishing, but I hook a fish, you know? Yeah. So you've, you gotta just kind of work with that and try different things. Um, I have a fishing journal, take a picture everywhere you go because um, every time you fish, even if you're skunked, take a picture because maybe three weeks later you go back to your journal, go back to your pictures and fill in um, what you fish with, how you did, what the weather was like. So the next following years, you can get inspiration. Um, yeah. And just explore, right. Don't look for other people to tell you where to fish, find your own places. Yeah. That's really good advice for new anglers, you know, and I think that, uh, like you said, you can't catch fish if you're not out there. So that's a, that's a big one. You, you think it wouldn't be, but that is a big one. Yeah, people are like, why don't I catch so many fish? I'm like, well, how many times do you fish? You know, but once a month or something like that. It's like, well, maybe go like once a week or, you know. Yeah. But you know, I'm I'm very fortunate that I'm able to fish yeah. so much, and so there's a little bit of that, um, you know, fortune that I have that others may not. Yeah, absolutely. I always, I always think about the, the meme or it's not even a meme, but some, some of the things that you see, there's like, Oh, I'm an, I'm an expert fly fisherman. And I, I, I catch a lot of fish and it's like, Oh, you are. It's like, yeah, I go to Alaska once a year for three days. <laughs> well, that's, that's a little different. That's, that's my other piece of advice. You want to be a great fisherman? Well, go where there's amazingly big fish, you know, like, it's, you know, as a coach, I talked to an Olympic diving coach once. I said, what's, what's the key to being an amazing diving coach? He said, oh, just get really good athletes. So what's the key to catching really big fish? Go to Alaska, go, go to Brazil, you know, go to places where there's good fish. And, and so, you know, when we talk about Facebook, you keep that in mind, right? Some people are fishing in some privileged areas. Um, but take pleasure in catching those smaller fish in those local waters. If you don't, then it's sports probably not for you. Yeah. Don't let places, don't let trips. I think a lot of people will go on trips and they'll let it ruin them. Like, Oh, I went to Alaska this summer and I caught, you know, every cast, I caught 26 inch rainbows or something. And yeah. it's like, well, when you come back, you're not going to get that same, you know, in Washington, you're going to have to work for maybe a fish half that size. So like, you know, in the moments that you do catch bigger fish in twenties, it's like in, also enjoy those as well. I agree. Yeah. It took me three years to catch a fish over a uh, rainbow over 18 inches. And then it took me about five years to get over to 20, 23 inches. Yeah. Uh, but I guess all I had to do was go to Alaska. It takes time. Yeah. Well, cool. We're, we're coming. Uh, that was great advice. And I think that we, uh, we're coming into our rapid fire round, which is like me and Kyle's like 
favorite thing about the podcast. So I hope you're you're ready for this. Kyle, you want to take it away? Yeah, let's do it. So first question for you, Kate, is what is your favorite fish and your favorite animal to hunt? Favorite thing to hunt, definitely turkeys. Favorite fish, um, largemouth bass. Nice, nice. What is uh, what is your next? I mean, you've done a lot of dream destinations and stuff, but what's your like next big destination or your kind of bucket list trip? I'm gonna go up to the Yukon and try to target um, lake trout and uh, pike on fly. Nice, nice. nice. Um, what is your favorite meal or snack and your favorite drink to take with you when you're hunting or fishing? Uh, favorite snack is definitely just like a bag of um, Ghirardelli chocolate. <laughs> um, I, uh, you, I definitely eat badly on fishing trips um, and drink for sure. Uh, a cold beer after the day is perfect. Nice. Yeah. You're on your way out the door. You're getting ready to, you know, go on a long journey and uh, you throw in, you, you know, you're, you're getting ready. You're trying to find that playlist. What's your go-to music for your trip? Um, silence. I like to just think. Nice. Yeah. Right. I, in, when I'm uh, in the car with friends, sometimes they make a note like, hey, we just drove six hours. We didn't put the radio on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the best conversation, especially like when you're on long drives and you're just chatting with people makes the day go by a little quicker than trying to listen to uh, music for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, You're headed out the door and like you're going fishing and you're on, you're just dead set on going. What's the first thing that you're grabbing as you're headed out the door? Like something you can't leave the house without. Black bully boogers with green flash. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I fish a lot of lakes, and so uh, black belly boogers, both weighted and unweighted. Um, that's the first thing I grab, and the first thing I forget is always the net. Nice. Here we go. Advice going to new people coming in the sport or industry, like people that just want to get into going fly fishing. What What would you tell them to do? And, and we know you've already kind of touched on this, but uh, if you had any anything else you want to elaborate on. Yeah, don't trust people that the sport is super complicated. I've gone on um, fishing sites where they say you need 4X, seven and a half feet long. It's like, oh my gosh, get over yourself. Like, just put your line in the water. So just because there are a lot of people that overcomplicate it does not mean you need to. Just learn a few knots, uh, uni knot, double surgeon, and perfection loop for the three I know. um, And that really gets you by. Awesome. Heck yeah. Well, that kind of wraps up our rapid fire round. Um, and with that, that kind of kind of wraps up our, our conversation for the night, Kate. So we, we appreciate you being on and sharing your story and how you got into the outdoors and um, kind of your, your whole life journey. So we appreciate having you on. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. And I do want to also thank you guys. Um, I, I don't know if you hear this often, but as you guys being fishing guides, when I talk about fishing being something where I feel alive or it makes me happy, you're a part of that when you are taking clients out, be it a beginner or someone who's been fishing their whole life. Um, So just make sure you realize that you are a part of that in other people's lives. And I thank you for that. Yeah, Yeah, thank Thank you. you. That means a lot.
Yeah, we appreciate that. All right, Keaton, you want to take us out here? All right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Guides podcast. We just want to give another thank you for Kate for taking the time today and coming out to talk to us. Um, Make sure to go check out our um, partners and make sure to check out Lucky Bug and uh, Heather's Choice. Uh, They got some great deals and they still have some great deals after Christmas. So make sure to go to their website, check it out. And uh, yeah. That was another episode of the Young Guides podcast. And once again, I was Keaton. I'm Kyle. We'll catch you on the next one.